0: Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word in John 8 and John 9. We pray that you'll help us to hear you speak as we consider it together now. Amen. Amen. Where do you go for insight? If you, if you want the lowdown on something, who do you trust to give you the right information? The BBC? The broadsheets? The government? Twitter? If they said it on Radio 4, it can't be fake news. If it's on the front page of the Times, it's got to be trustworthy. How about more personally? Which people do you go to if you want to get the right picture of something or someone? Your husband or wife? Your mum or dad? Maybe you've got an age-old trusted friend you go to when things don't seem clear. Maybe there's someone in church you call on when you need a verdict on something or someone or some advice. A person who, whose word carries a lot of weight with you. Well, those sorts of questions are the territory we're in this afternoon with our second of Jesus' I am statements. I am the light of the world, says Jesus. Twice. Twice. And um, a bit like we said with the idea of hunger a couple of weeks ago, for those who are here. Though it's simple to understand on one level, it's not a metaphor that immediately rings all that true for us, as we have so little experience of actual physical darkness. In fact, quite the opposite. We sometimes crave darkness. I, I hate flashing charger lights in the bedroom. I try and make sure they're all turned off or in different rooms when I'm about to go to sleep. But if we're to understand this metaphor, then we need to remember and get into the mindset that that the absence of light, the the inability to find or create light in true darkness, is oppressive and it's terrifying. And so is the absence of metaphorical light. We uh, we talk, don't we, of, of seeing light at the end of the tunnel or of having a light bulb moment which changes everything. Or seeing things rightly in the cold light of day. And to be in the dark is not a good thing. It means to be out of the picture. Not in the know. Confused. Excluded. Because to see light, metaphorically, means to see truth. To see light means to see truth. To see things as they really are to gain insight, understanding, perspective. And this is precisely what Jesus offers. I am the light of the world, he says. I am the way you can see truth. I am the one who can show you things as they really are. I am the one who brings insight, understanding, perspective. Jesus is a little light on your phone as you walk down the dark alley wishing you'd gone the long way home. Jesus is the fog light showing you just a few metres ahead in the blizzard. Jesus is the ultrasound scan lighting up inside your body. Jesus is the light, the light of the world, the one who enables truth to be seen. Three dimensions to draw out. Well, first, he's the light of the whole world. There aren't other lights. He's not one light competing among many. Any other lights are counterfeits. He's the light for everything and everyone. And number two, he's the light we are to follow. Verse 12 again, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Because the purpose of light is to illuminate, to show you something, to show you the way, to reveal the path. Light is of no use if you're not looking where it's shining, or not following where it's leading you. If it's pointing one way, but you're heading the other. Jesus is, is a light that is to be followed light for the whole world, and light to be followed. And thirdly, he's the light that brings life. It was there as well in 8 verse 12. But also in John's famous prologue, in chapter 1, verse 4, John writes, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Because Jesus' illumination brings great revelation, great knowledge, great understanding. But that's not the end point. The end point of Jesus' light isn't information. It's life. As we see the truth of God, as we see the truth of our sin and our standing before him, as we see the truth of who Jesus is, what he came to do, and his future return, we're led to respond in repentance and faith and we gain eternal life. Jesus is the light of the world, the light we're to follow, the light that brings life. And one day, one day, his light will be physical, not spiritual. Well, not just spiritual. It will be literal, not metaphorical. In the new creation, Revelation 22 verse 5 tells us, There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light. One day, the street lamps will be switched off. The batteries will be bent. And the sun will be dismissed. For it will have served its purpose. Now we experience in part... One day we will experience fully Jesus, the light of the world. But back down to the ground now. Um, What does this mean in practice? What does it look like to believe that Jesus is the light? What are we supposed to do with this knowledge, poetic as it may be? You might be asking. Well, thankfully, John gives us something of a worked example in chapter 9. There's so much we could say uh, about what we see in this chapter, um, but let's just briefly skim over the kind of overarching story of the two characters or group of characters to, to give us a sense of what John's trying to show us here. So first, the story of the once blind man, a story of what it looks like to be given spiritual sight. Okay, The story of the once blind man, a story of what it looks like to be given spiritual sight. And um, in a sense, in this chapter, as you probably all have spotted as we read it, the deed is done very quickly. The extraordinary work of God, the miracle, the healing of the blind man. Well, it's all done and dusted by verse 7. But did you spot that it's not until much later that Jesus opens this man's spiritual eyes? It's only at the very end of the chapter, verses 35 and 38, that Jesus actually reappears on the scene. And having opened this man's physical eyes, now opens his spiritual eyes. Let me read those verses again. From verse 35. Jesus heard that he had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked, Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. But also, did you notice that there is something gradual in this account? If you flip back to verse 11, when the blind man speaks of Jesus, he calls him the man they call Jesus. But jump ahead to the end of verse 17, and he acknowledges Jesus as a prophet, Jump ahead a little further to verse 33 and the man says that Jesus is from God. And then finally in verse 38 he acknowledges Jesus as Lord and as the Son of Man and he worships him. You see to be given spiritual sight it's both the work of a moment and it's the work of eternity. It happens the moment first. Uh, the moment you first believe, God changes your heart, opens your blind eyes, and yet also with every day that passes, and with every day in eternity, we will see the risen Christ a little more clearly than we did the day before. To be given spiritual sight, John says, it is both the work of a moment, and it's the work of eternity. So that's the um, the now-seeing man's story. The second, the Pharisee's story. A story of what it looks like to remain spiritually blind. A story of what it looks like to remain spiritually blind. Where the um, once-blind man's response to this miracle moves from clueless gratitude to saving faith over the course of the chapter. The response of the Pharisees to the same miracle goes in the opposite direction. They too begin confused in verse 16, saying different things. But they move towards unbelief in verse 18. And they end up in school in verse 28 and 29 and 34. And the account concludes with Jesus speaking judgment on them. Verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. And so we have a blind man, who's been made to see, both physically and spiritually. And we have those who can, and have always been able to see physically, remaining spiritually blind, unchanged having refused to acknowledge the one who's opened blind eyes before them. Which brings us back to our original question. Where do you go for insight? If you want to know the truth, where do you look? To whom do you turn? Well, John says, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus, the light of the world. There might be some listening in who are at verse 8 in the story. The miracle has occurred, and like the blind man and the Pharisees, we've seen something of the light of Jesus, and now the ball is in your court. How will you respond? Will you follow Jesus' light? It would be so easy to make the same mistake as the Pharisees, to discount Jesus despite the evidence, because it doesn't make sense, because it's too scary. Because that's what everyone else is saying. Because the other lights you're following seem so bright. Well, let Jesus be your light. But many of us are probably a bit further along. We're probably at verse 38 already. This once blind man's story is our story. And we know it. God has restored our spiritual sight. He's shown us the truth of the gospel. Well, if that's you, let this man's response to Christ be your response to Christ. Worship him. There'll be a chance to do that together now in a moment. But let it be the stance, the manner of your whole life. Worship him. If he is your light. But it's not always that simple, is it? Because if you're anything like me, sometimes... You kind of lose the light, you can't see it anymore, and you get lost in darkness. Perhaps that's the case for you right now. You're going through a tremendous trial because of a new situation, or something that's been rumbling on for years. And you're desperate to know what lies ahead, what you're supposed to say, do, think, how you're meant to feel. And you feel lost and in the dark. Jesus is the light of the world. Keep turning to him, keep turning to scripture for guidance, for wisdom, for hope. You may not know the way out or the reason why, but God does. His light may not come to you straight away in this particular situation, he may not show you everything you want to know, every answer to the questions you have, but persevere. Keep looking in his word. Keep listening as it's taught. He will guide you. He will show you the way. He will give you perspective. He's promised to you. Let Jesus be your light. Or then um, another thing I sometimes do, I uh, I try to be my own light. I I, I put Jesus in the cupboard as a backup candle in case there's a blackout and all the electricity goes down. And I try to shine my own light on things instead. Trusting my own opinions, my own judgments, my own ideas more than I trust God's. And what's worse, I I don't just leave it there and do it for myself. I, I then try to shine my own light for other people too. As if my light is what they most need. Uh, Earlier this week, um, uh, in fact, a couple of friends were were struggling, so I shared Bible verses with them. As I reflected, I I later realised that it only occurred to me to share a Bible verse after I'd said pretty much everything I could think of to say on my own. After I'd shared, uh, this one's from one of my course mates in particular, after I'd shared all my tips on how to study, how to write discussion forum posts, how to keep on top of the reading. Now, this isn't to say that there weren't helpful things in the advice I gave. But I wonder what it says about the truth I value that I was so quick to go to my own wisdom and practical advice rather than going first to the Bible for God's advice. Don't put Jesus in the cupboard as the backup candle in case there's a blackout. Let Jesus be your light. And um, one final thing I do. Maybe you do it too. And you know, this, this illustration will be a bit more familiar to some than others. But I think I sometimes think of Jesus' light a bit like when you're sort of lining up candles for a candlelit bath. And uh, you might have one candle that's a bit bigger than the others. You have your statement candle. But you're going to need quite a few if you want to be able to see I think I'm going to do that with Jesus sometimes. I have Jesus as my light. He's my biggest light, my statement candle. But actually, he's just one light of many, and I actually rely on having quite a few lights. And again, of course, this isn't to undermine sources of wisdom and wise people God puts us around, around us for us to use and to go to. But surely a better metaphor for Jesus' light than the slightly bigger candle of the many around the bath. It's a bit more like the moon, so bright, so dazzling in the night sky, until you realise that it has no light of its own. It only reflects the light from the sun. That's what any other light can and must be like compared to Jesus. Just like the moon, so bright, so dazzling, but only reflecting the light from the sun. So let Jesus be your light. For he is the light of the world. Let's pause for a few minutes and then I'll pray.